Welcome oh. to Dragon Talk. Was that okay? <clears throat> Some digital clipping. What's that? that Paper cl- Clippy? Clippy was, from Microsoft Word is here? Yes. As Clippy our special guest? Hey, I heard you wanted to do a podcast intro. Do you need some help? <laughs> Hello. Hi, I'm Clippy. Try this. Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Clippy, your host. Hi, Clippy. I'm Greg Tito. Great sweater. Thank you. You have a nice sweater, too. Thank you. Welcome to Dragon Talk. For real. For reals. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Are we still Clippy? (laughs) (laughs) I want you to create a character that is actually you being like, am I still Clippy? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who I am. Am I Clippy? (laughs) That'd make me laugh. I'd, I'd be down with that. Would you be down with that for two whole hours? Would you be down with that being actually the book that we write together? Oh, the adventures of Clippy, Lost in Faerun. Lost in Faerun. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're done. Easy peasy. Done. Okay, that was my chapter. Now uh, your turn. Because we are inspired by our uh, guests on the interview section of this here podcast. Yes. Uh, we usually uh, talk to some fun and interesting people who play Dungeons and Dragons. And we did. And we did this time. <laughs> that almost uh, sounded like you were going to say it. But, but no, they no, were super fun. That's right. Zach, Lauren Clark, and Nick Eliopoulos, uh, best friends. That's their... their I love that. Um brand. Yep, they're as, not just friends who write books together or friends who play D&D together. Oh no. No. They're best friends. Best friends who write novels together. That's crazy. In a very interesting way. Yes. Sequentially chapters sent back and forth to each other. Amazing. Right. Wouldn't you just try to like stump the person? Like I'm just going to write this crazy 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 chapter and see what he does with it. <laughs> He'll never figure it out. Yeah, and they we asked them about that and they were they like do uh well they don't necessarily purposely do that, but no. sometimes they do get stumped and you'll hear all about what they do when you read their books. And listen to this interview. Uh they wrote books called The Adventurers Guild. That was the first novel. Uh their inspired newest Inspired by D&D, we should say. <laughs> inspired by uh The Adventurers Guild. Oh, I've heard of that. Uh, Which is why that's called uh, D&D Adventurers Guild, uh, for those of you who are familiar with trademark law. Um, But uh, their next book is called Twilight of the Elves, and uh, that just recently came out. And there's a third one that they're working on right now. Uh, If I remember, uh, they are working on the revising of that third book. Right, yes. Currently. Yeah. Uh, So it's a great conversation. We talk about... uh, how their process differs from nearly every other writer that we've ever heard of uh, and it's fascinating and how it has incorporated their love of playing Dungeons and Dragons together and and, uh, uh, how they honed their their storytelling chops by uh, playing together for so long and how the way they wrote this novel kind of feels like a a shared storytelling you know campaign like they would do in a D&D session and how they managed to stay best friends right because they are. That is the thing that warms the cockles of my heart mm-hmm. the most, yes. is that they are still best friends Yep, through it all. Still playing D&D together. I know. I love, love it. it. Uh, love it. So listen to uh, 
uh, Nick and Zach uh, coming up. Uh, we also have, uh, as we do, our fun lore segments. Uh, and uh, I don't even know if I want to talk about all the things that are going on in Dungeons & Dragons because I Why? feel like we've been talking about it for so long. Well, what if somebody didn't listen to the last couple of podcasts? I guess that's true. And then they won't know. They won't know. And they're just in a void of non-D&D news. So for those of you who haven't listened to any other podcast but this one, Dungeons & Dragons is a game in which you roll dice uh, to determine success or failure in a task in a shared story that is created with your friends around a table. Good one. Done? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, And to push that framework forward, Dungeons & Dragons has published a whole bunch of stuff in the very recent past, including Waterdeep Dragon Heist, uh, which is an adventure set in the city of Waterdeep. Yes. That's it. That's all you need to know. It's It's just in the city. You really always have to think about the person who might be in the car that doesn't play D&D, but the person driving is making them listen to this podcast. I mean, that's really who our audience is. Yeah. The non-D&D playing passenger. Hi, passenger. We're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize for myself. You know what would make your life better as a passenger? A D&D sweater. A D&D sweater. Which you can get Maybe uh, Think Geek, I believe. Is that true? I believe so, yeah. Maybe some awesome D&D books. Maybe it's time for you to start playing, too. And you and your friend who's driving you around can have some really fun adventures together. I love it. I think these are all good advices that okay. you should give to everyone that you see okay. on the street. Yeah. Um, they say this is an ugly sweater, but I don't. I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Somebody referred to it as such today. Yeah, and I was insulted on your behalf. As you should be, because it's quite attractive. I think so. My friend, it's it's actually sold out. It's old, out of stock. On your sweater, single, yes, because people saw you wearing it. You're I'm like Meghan it right Markle. Now. It's like every single size is out of stock. Uh, so I apologize. But it may be restocked soon. Who knows? Let's hope so. Let's hope so. I had a friend who said uh, it was too small, that this version was too small. And I said, no, sir, it is not. Say it is fitted. It is fitted and it feels great. It is tailored. I don't like those big baggy sweaters like Shelly's wearing. I was just going to say, like what I'm wearing? (laughs) Well, this is why I'm fasting. That's why you're cleansing. Yeah. I just got cleansed. And I don't have to wear a big baggy sweater. That's right. Uh... So if you were going to play through uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, would your character wear a big baggy sweater? Yes. Yeah? I think that's a good call. You know, the character I'm playing now, Flapper. Flapper? The Aarakocra. Yes. I had had a vision of him in a sweater vest, and I love him even more now. Oh. I think he wears a sweater vest. As he should. Yes. Wait, so he's an Aarakocra, which is uh, a, a humanoid bird. Yes. His name's Flapper? Flapper. Oh. He has a gratuitous apostrophe. Uh, of course he does. Right? Because it's Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Yes. Uh, and you're playing in this amazing game called Heroes of the Veil mm-hmm. on Wednesdays, 2 p.m. Pacific time on twitch.tv slash D&D Beyond. Yep. We were already called heroes. We didn't even do anything, but we were already the heroes of the veil. You're straight up heroes in my book. Totes. Mostly because of your name choice and uh, costumes. Right. Like your like your baggy sweater. My baggy sweater. So you're in that baggy with sweater vest. Todd Kenrick is right? playing in that. Uh, Adam Bradford mm-hmm. is playing in that. Who else? T.J. Storm. T.J. Storm. Lauren Urban. Yes. Oboe Crazy herself. Yep. And Hope Lavalle. Hope. I don't actually know how to pronounce her last name. Oh, it's one of those things where you never say oh, it out geez, loud. I've never said it out loud. 
But she's adorable, and she's playing a character named Penelope, who's also adorable, not role-playing. <laughs> she's basically playing herself. They're just adorbs, back to Totes. back. Uh, and, of course, Dungeon Mastered by Mike Morrells. Oh, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Okay, he's really good. He's a good Dungeon Master. He's so good. Yeah. He, I was like, whoop, sucked right into the story, and then things got real creepy. Real quick. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. All right, so you've had one session. Yeah. Wednesdays, 2 p.m., yeah. watch it. No. All of you, watch it. Please. Make sure you also watch Shelly and comment on her appearance. No. <laughs> and my, my role-playing ability. <laughs> Your role-playing ability. Look, man, my character, Flapper, he has a condition called bird brain. Oh. So he forgets things a lot. What? Right? <laughs> Where are we? Who? <laughs> he often says that. Where are we? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are we looking for again? So, role playing. Not role playing. <laughs> I finally figured it out. Yeah, just play yourself. Exactly. But just blame it on the character. I'm like, oh, I know where we are, you guys. I know. I'm just I'm kidding. I'm role playing. This is what a character would do. My character doesn't know. And he's a ranger and he has like two spells. So he just really just like uses his bow. So on my turn, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Probably going to fire my bow. Probably. Yeah, that's good. It's a t- do you fire a bow? I don't feel like you fire a bow. Do you fire a bow? Do you? Yeah. Or okay. shoot launch? a bow? I don't know. No, I don't I think launch. But because he's Well, you a, could launch it if you went straight up in the air. Because perhaps. he's a bird, he mm-hmm. often like flies up like 10, 15 feet and then fires. I wish you guys could see Shelly's hand motions as she was doing that. <laughs> you can if you watch the stream. That's right. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Wait, so it's a three stooge as well? That's him levitating. <laughs> that's your shooting about. Oh. And that's it hitting. Ow. Yeah. You got me. I don't know. Uh, I don't all right. Know well, that sounds really fun Does and it? exciting. And I hope everyone watches. Me, me too. You do. That's right. Yeah. Um, so Dungeon of the Mad Mage is a continuation of, uh, what's happening in Waterdeep. Yeah, There is tons of fun stuff below the city of Waterdeep. You don't even know. You don't even know what's happening. It's, you know what's, and, and what's great, Dungeon Masters can use that book to, uh, just pop in a level, uh, in some dungeon that you may be encountering in your homebrew world or something that doesn't necessarily have to be involved with Waterdeep. There's tons of great dungeon environs that you can uh, pick up and put anywhere in your game, including fully mapped out levels. There's 23 levels in that book, not to mention uh, an entire settlement town of Skullport is also uh, mapped out in there and uh, uh, described on how you can do it all, too. So do it. It's one of our thickest adventure books that we put out very recently. 23 levels. 23 levels. I think it's more than 300 pages. I think oh it's 310 God. pages. That's a lot of pages. Sure is. And uh, it's, it's, it's great. Check it out. Uh, there is also a uh, Maps and Miscellany mm-hmm. pack uh, that has each one of those dungeon levels mapped out on an individual wet and dry erase uh, capable um, sheet. That's awesome. Yeah. All of it's on there. You can take lots of notes. Uh, and there's also some rumors and, and uh, NPC cards that you what? can hand out uh, to your players if you need. need okay. Them. That's the miscellany part of the maps. Love the it. Um, and then we also have Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica out there. I've been thumbing through that book uh, whenever I have time. And it is amazing because it's filled with just lore and stuff that is you don't find in Dungeons & Dragons very often. It kind of breaks the mold of things that you know from D&D because it's uh, set in the uh, plane of Ravnica that's in Magic the Gathering. So there's all these monsters and creatures and stuff in it that you don't have immediate familiarity with 
uh, if you're an old school Dungeons and Dragons player. It's like all brand new stuff that you can throw in and it's a surprise to your players. So even more stuff that you can use to uh, incorporate in your game. Surprise. Surprise. And you can have dice. And there's your an awesome dice. dice. Yeah, dice pack. To go with it. Yeah, check that out. It's, it comes in a nice little and circular tin. And how about tin. those gift sets? What gift sets? The coral books. They're so good. They're so shiny. They're shiny. That's right. Three of the core rules are in there. Uh, the Monster Manual, the Player's Handbook, and the Dungeon Master's Guide. Not to mention and the Dungeon Master screen oh, reincarnated. Oh, why not just throw that in there, Just too. throw it in there for funzos. Um, the version you can only get in game stores uh, is the alternate cover edition with uh, covers by Hydro 74. They look gorgeous. Oh, they're amazing. Um, including the Dungeon Master screen outside. Looks really good. Yes. And the core rule set that you can find everywhere else in bookstores uh, and online, um, those have a nice treatment that are a foil. There's definitely metallic foil touches to all the new yes. covers. Uh, they contain the most up-to-date versions of the text. So uh, it's not really errata, but it's like the stuff that we've clarified and, and uh, uh, concentrated on improving. Those versions are all in the core rulebook set, so it's a perfect way to kind of update, you know, for... Yes. Um, if you're just looking for some new copies uh, and then maybe you gift go. your old ones. I was uh, just going to say, if you could give you know, your old copies. To schools. To schools or libraries. Libraries. Uh, kids or, after school program. Or just leave it on the corner for someone to pick up and be like, what's this? And, and then, then make it transport into a new world. 20 years from now, we'll interview that kid on Dragon Talk. Yeah, he's like, some like uh, somebody just left, left this on the corner. <laughs> and I saw it. <laughs> that sounds very, very similar to your clippy. <laughs> I don't have a, a large repertoire. You're building, though. That flapper seems different. Flapper. That's a very different. He is different. Yeah. But like, I've used a similar voice for other things. For other things. Yeah. Yeah, we won't get into those. You know. <laughs> you know the <laughs> thing. The thing. <laughs> uh, I do not know Woo! any of those things. Uh, we have an amazing Lori Chanel segment that you uh, should uh, take no. a listen to, and then we'll get to our amazing interview uh, with Zach and Nick. Okay. Forthwith. Let's do it. Let's have some bings and bongs happen. We haven't, we haven't heard the bings and the bongs in a while. Nope. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. You are returned. I have returned. Have you uh, assassinated Ari Levitch, and uh, he is no longer <laughs> going to be going through <laughs> the guilds of Ravnica? No. <laughs> no, I need Ari. I need Ari to cover for me. That's right. I'm not, uh, not around. He's done some uh, some amazing uh, yeah. deep delves into uh, the different guilds and what's happening in Ravnica. He's the but guy. we are going to return uh, to uh, the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons that you may be a little bit more familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, and speak about the terrors of the deep. Yes, some these are forgotten terrors of the deep. Forgotten ones. Things that you may not that have been in the game since. The dawn of the game, which you may not know even exist. Many, many monsters exist in the similar to our so world I, in that uh, underneath exactly the waters. Uh, we didn't know whether there yeah. were giant squid or not, and all that stuff. Yeah, and we're always discovering new things down there. Yeah. So who knows? Some of these creatures might actually yes. exist. So these are not the creatures that I'm going to talk about. Aren't uh, wholly their own thing. They are all aquatic variants 
of existing land-dwelling D&D monsters. They just have cooler names. Okay. So the first one uh, is the Lacedon, L-A-C-E-D-O-N. And it is an aquatic ghoul. Oh, so it just lives it is a ghoul underwater? that lives underwater. It's a ghoul with basically fins and flippers or, uh, that it can use to, to propel itself. Now, what it is a ghoul of, you know, is it like a, a merfolk ghoul? Or a aquatic or no? elf? No, it's just a human, basically, that has died, become a ghoul, and somehow evolved to live in the deep sea. And somehow usually yes. is involving magic. Right. And it made its first appearance in the original. This is not the original. This is the, the reprint, the reprint of, the original. of the original monster manual. Yes. D&D. It is in, it is in the ghoul entry. And oh. Yes. They actually were name checked there. Exactly. So, and all that we know about them from this original tome is that the Lacedon is a marine form of the ghoul. It conforms in all other respects to oh. a ghoul. And now this is a pattern that was established early on by Gary in the book. And maybe it was done, I suspect it was done, to help fill out encounter tables Mm. for underwater encounters. Because they didn't want to be like, oh, a a unicorn. Right. We're not going to put in a bunch of underwater monsters in this book. But we'll give you some underwater variants that you can use should your characters find themselves in the briny depths. So uh, another monster that got the aquatic treatment, oddly enough, was the gargoyle. How does a gargoyle fly <laughs> underwater? I don't know, but there is an aquatic gargoyle called a copoosynth. This creature is a marine variety of gargoyle which uses its wings to swim. They conform in all respects to a normal gargoyle. They dwell in relatively shallow waters, lairing in undersea caves. Huh. So a cave-dwelling gargoyle, I sort of envision from a story point of view, may have been... Like, you imagine gargoyles are actually things that perch on buildings, right? Right. And some of them are animate and evil, and they'll descend down to attack you. Well, mm-hmm. it's possible, or you can imagine, old civilizations that have basically sunk into the sea or been dragged down to the depths. Yeah. These uh, sort of underwater ruins that these gargoyles were sort of pulled down into. And through magical means, mysterious or otherwise, they sort of became underwater, which means that uh, now we, we sort of assume that gargoyles are kind of like elemental creatures. Um, but because they, they embodied stone. Right, yes, exactly. Um, but these underwater versions of copacins, they're essentially just gargoyles that happen to live underwater and have learned to use their wings to propel themselves, even though they're made of stone. They're like, they're like swimming anchors, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so those are some powerful wings they must have. They must have really powerful wings. Yeah. And then they also, like, obviously, the construction of wings are yeah. made so that, you know... Uh, 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 air goes faster over one and then therefore yeah. propels it and gives it lift. Exactly. A I wing, don't think wing that underwater would underwater. make a whole lot of sense when no. you really think about it. There well, must was, be, there'd have to be something else going on there, like some sort of internal air sac system oh, or something. Yeah. But nothing, nothing in the, the codified text in the Copos and in any edition has ever really kind of clarified what that is. Would you, so it seems like you would lean towards using them uh, the way you were describing how like a ru- ruin had come mm-hmm. underground and they are now right. just under, yeah. underwater versions of gargoyles. That's, that's one way to do it. Yeah. But then, yeah. yeah, then why wouldn't they just sink to the bottom? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. they're really easy to kill. <laughs> Good XP. They're not flying gargoyles. They're not flying. <laughs> yes. So, um, one other creature that got the, hey, there's an aquatic alternate. And I don't, 
it's not clear what the rhyme or reason of why certain creatures got this treatment and others did. Um, there may be some, in some cases, which I'll get to in a moment, there may be a mythological seed or origin there to right. explain it. But there's an aquatic hobgoblin. Okay. Which I guess is, it's no weirder than an aquatic, you know, a merman or a triton or any uh, a locatha or any other aquatic species. Yeah. But it's basically a bipedal evil humanoid, a hobgoblin with... Um, gills mm-hmm. that lives in shallow water caverns and sea caves. Um, they use spears and pole arms, which is an interesting choice for an underwater race. Right. Um, I guess they can the try. I guess they could. Yeah, idea. they could thrust with a pole arm. I suppose. Yeah. Um, they speak their own language, hobgoblin, and they are evil, just like hobgoblins are. They're green, generally speaking, um, with with sort of gills on their faces, mm-hmm. and they have gills on their limbs. But otherwise, I, I sort of envision them as kind of like a, a riff on the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah but gills sense. on their arms. So they, yeah. can, they can breathe by swimming? I guess so, yeah. Or not gills, sorry, fins. Fins. Not, not gills. Okay. Yeah. My, my bad. That's how I, was, I was trying to envision yeah. like, oh, that's an interesting difference. But yeah, okay. exactly. No, they, right. got, they got gills on their necks and fins on their limbs. Okay. Uh, so they're like, kind of like yeah. the Kevin Costner and the... Uh, <laughs> in, in Waterworld? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, God, that film. Uh, yeah. uh, so, but if you need an underwater race that's different from, say, the Sahuagin, right. which are so your, your traditional menacing deep sea race, yeah. you can have the shallow sea-dwelling koalinths, as they are called. Not to be confused with the kopoosynths, which, uh, which uh, Merle's admitted to doing recently. I, uh, I just like that there, these, there's completely new terms and yeah they got totally these, new names rather than so. just like aquatic hobgoblin exactly so koalinths are k-o-a-l-i-n-t-h uh-huh. uh and yeah they are just basically evil hobgoblins of the sea and hobgoblins have that kind of martial you know thing and none yeah. of the other aquatic races has really kind of fit that right that bent so you yeah. know there, there's a there's a use case for these especially if they wanted to um, you know, use some of the other lesser creatures like clams or there uh, is. lobsters. Now, now granted, uh, Lacedon's copoacinths and colons haven't been used a great deal over the years, which is sort of explains their obscurity. Yeah. Partly because I think it does feel like on, on the one hand, they are just kind of like a riff on something else. So you would only use them in highly specialized instances where you are just at a loss for what to put in a sea cave. Right. Um, it's an interesting uh, uh, right. way to jump into yeah. it. But it's hard to do that necessarily unless there's some kind of magical reason for right. you know, air-breathing characters to suddenly be able to, to adventure underwater. Now, the first edition Fiend Folio had an aquatic variant of the Umber Hulk. Mm. Oh, kind of wow. another, another weird one to choose. That's strange, yeah. Yeah, and it was called the Vadianoi. Vadianoi. Yeah. Anuway. And so the, the Vadianoi are, they live in like uh, deep rivers and shallow caves, shallow flooded caves and all that kind of business. Yeah. And they can burrow, but they don't have, weirdly, they don't have the Umber Hulk's confusion gaze. Oh. Um, but otherwise, they're just Umber Hulks of the sea and they've got, you know, webbed digits to help them swim, but they have the same sort of burly lichen encrusted carapace that you find on the on the the bug monstery mm-hmm. umber hulks they're not umber colored they're more of a, a a greenish darkish hue uh so they're not aquatic 
umber hulks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you know it'd be hard to see underwater anyway. Umber, so the, yeah. so their 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 coloring could aquatic be. other colored hulks. <laughs> um, and uh, and they haven't seen much use either. But uh, vod yanoi is like a I think it's an Eastern European term mm-hmm. for for a sort of an evil troll like creature or menace that lives and, and like pulls people down in in uh, to briny lakes and oceans and things like that. So the name has resonance yeah. mythologically, even if the creature doesn't. And then the sort of the, the last of the Forgotten Terrors of the Deep that I'm going to touch on is one that actually came not out of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but out of the D&D Expert mm-hmm. game, uh, which was an expansion to the D&D Basic game yeah. in the days of yore. Yeah, the blue uh, Exactly, manuals. yeah. And uh, this creature first saw the light of day, um, and that's sort of going to be a bad pun, in an adventure called The War Rafts of Kron. Mm. where it was featured centrally as a villain. And then I think the next time, and maybe the last time it appeared in print, was in a dungeon magazine adventure in issue 79 called The Acroloth. And this creature is called a Velia. And it is an aquatic vampire. Oh, that's interesting. So if you, ima- if you imagine a vampire who doesn't have an aversion to running water... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm cool with it. And, and lives in the deep sea, then this is, this is the creature for you. Uh, and when you think about it, a vampire is actually a, a good thing to cross with the dark depths because what better place for it to live, really, mm-hmm. than at the bottom of the ocean where it doesn't get any light, the sun is not really that much of a problem, and it doesn't need to breathe. Yeah, and so, there's plenty of... Uh, well, not right. plenty, but you know you have to hunt. But there are creatures under there that could be your sustenance pretty easily. Yes, but it's been as it's been depicted, like many of these aquatic rifts of land-dwelling races, it's basically the creature, but with like greenish blue skin and fins and gills. Yeah. So it's a it's a vampire with fins and gills, <laughs> living in the depths. Pretty easy to switch that over. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, but you could imagine there's some sort of curse involved, like a vampire is being transported over oceans, yeah. maybe to get away from its old home in very Dracula-like style. But maybe they threw his coffin overboard and it sank to the bottom of the sea where it sat for aeons until finally the vampire emerged, transformed into this creature or whatever. Right. Or found its way to some Atlantean ruin that it turned into its underwater castle and through the magic of the place became sort of corrupted into this new form. And was able to... So there, there's sort of ways to kind of explain, because you don't imagine, like, Velias would not breed because they're undead. Yeah. Um, so there would be no traditional means of propagation. So how has this creature existed? Um, there wasn't, like, a, a version of it that was alive yeah. that turned into this. Or maybe there was. Maybe there is a curse of vampirism which comes up out of the sea drags humans back down to the depths to turn them into Velias. Right. And uh, there's something that's even that's even more terrifying about that vampire myth that involves yes. uh, uh, something crawling up from the depths. Yes, exactly. I think, there's, I think there's something really there. So I'm hoping that, you know, after this, there'll be a rash of Velia <laughs> adventures and we can, we, can, we can elevate Velias to the stature that they deserve. That's pretty cool. Well, and yeah. you did mention, you know, I mean, that's the kind of mythological uh, tie-in there with the, uh, uh, the Umberhulk uh, mm-hmm. term. Um, but that draw to mind uh, something that I had heard recently, which was uh, the narwhal is a creature that exists. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of weird 
Nobody yep. really knows why its horn is the way it is. It's a uh, underwater the unicorn of the sea. The unicorn of the sea. Um, and there is uh, the theory that the reason that narwhals existing is why people think that unicorns existed. There was the idea put forth in this is probably early medieval times that uh, creatures on land had an underwater counterpart. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you discover something in in the sea, it therefore had a you know, overland counterpart. And yeah. so uh, uh, I don't know exactly how that idea became cemented in people's thought, but the fact that narwhals were discovered, it meant that, oh, there must be a horse <laughs> that has a horn on it. We just haven't seen any right. yet. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that's where, you know, the myth of unicorns kind yeah. of really came yeah, from. I think, I think to some extent it's sort of the, the, the myth of the limited imagination. It's like your imagination in that case is sort of bound by what you're familiar with and you just sort of apply that familiarity everywhere else that you don't know. Right. Um, but we can do that also uh, as D&D players. I and mean, and D&D has a long tradition of doing this. Yeah, 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 which is, I mean, kind of evidented in these in these creatures. They're basically uh, yes. like, oh, land creatures that yes. have an aquatic version. We, uh, D&D does the same thing with space. Uh, <laughs> when, when Spelljammer came out, there were space versions of classic D&D monsters. So right. you had, instead of orcs, you had scrow, which is just orcs spelled backwards. Um, <laughs> space orcs. Space orcs. Space, yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, you're right. It's it's a sort of a very common thing to happen, and that humans do um, is is invent creatures that are counterparts to things they see in other environments. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost has this mirror world quality to it as mm-hmm. well. And maybe that's where yeah that concept of uh, of of the unicorn narwhals thing that came from that idea. Like oh. The idea of fairy of the fairy world in our world, yes. you know, similar yeah, to exactly. what we've adopted yeah, for the Feywild. There's something. There's a propensity to that as well. in human nature to create symmetry, even if no symmetry exists. Exactly. And so you see these sort of symmetrical creations living in alternate worlds and alternate timelines and alternate environments. Yeah. And I think I think that's part of uh, the imagination doing its thing, and it's it's how we ended up with so many of these uh, creatures uh, seeping into the game. Um, yeah, and how, how, do you have any advice for uh, Dungeon Masters on how they can uh, use that, you know, to, to, to come up with something that you know, feels a little bit new or, or exciting or yeah, so perhaps I, plays so with You can take that idea and you can run with it and, and create, for instance, an aquatic specimen of something that hasn't been created yet. Yeah. Anything from like an aquatic treant. Oh, know, like a seaweed. A, a, a sea tree, essentially, oh. or like a... Some sort of creeping anemone, mm. anemone, anemone, I say. anemone, yeah. anemone, An- anemone. That's 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 correct spelling. We need yes. some more enemies. That- like the the aquatic fire elemental, probably not the most likely candidate. <laughs> um, but uh, why not? It'll be the steam elemental. Yes. yes, but the aquatic purple worm might be fun. Ooh, I mean that's kind of yep. like a leviathan kind of exactly. Idea already. Yep. Um, there are obviously naturally creatures that can live in the water, and that's no fun. But if you take something that doesn't normally live in the water, and suddenly it does, and you have minotaurs with you know, yeah, flippers and and gills, that can be rightly terrifying. What about some aquatic creatures that could all of a sudden be land creatures land as well? Creatures. Um, uh, that's a very good question. Can you, know? you think of any off the top of your head? Uh, like oh, I, was just, I was just flipping through the book and noticed the eye of the deep, which is basically the beholder of the sea. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they've got, they've got 10 periscopes they can put yeah. up. Yep. Um, but creatures like hydras, for instance, already can live in water, so that's not such a big stretch. The trick is to come up with something that seems wholly Ill, ill-suited 
to one climb and then twist it. Uh, water spiders are things actually found in nature mm. um, that you can riff on. Yeah. That's pretty creepy. Yeah. Well, and there's, all, there's spiders that create air pockets under underwater as well, which I always mm-hmm. found super creepy for some reason. That like, yeah. oh, yeah, they don't even need... Uh, uh, you're not safe underwater from spiders. Exactly. Uh, they can create yeah. their own climate underneath it. Uh, but even as you mentioned, like the Sahagwin or the, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, Kuatoa, who are, you know, always associated with, uh, uh, with aquatic nature, but sh- having them show up on top of a mountain uh, for some reason, you know, yeah. whether they, uh, uh, you know, have been there or been deposited there somehow. Uh, yeah, the aquatic bullet, who's basically like a, a roaming torpedo, <laughs> kind of terri- ter- terrifying. Yeah. Um, is it armed? Is it armed? Can it like pierce through ships <laughs> or leap onto ships and Ooh. stomp around? That's kind of terrifying. And how are we going to weaponize that? Exactly. Yeah. Somebody, like, somebody will do that to the player's chagrin. Jarl Axel's already thinking about yeah. doing that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with his vessel. Uh, oh, yes. The, the Scarlet Marpinoff. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, if people want to uh, ask you for more uh, aquatic creatures of the deep, lost creatures of the deep, uh, mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, you know, for some interesting ways to use, uh, you know, to take old creatures, uh, how can they get in touch with you? They can come at me at Twitter, uh, uh, Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that. And we'll be back with another Lower You Should Know segment pretty darn soon. You look like Flapper. <laughs> Flapper, is this thing on? Is this? Who is? <laughs> Do you want to be Flapper's I brother? I want to be the Flapper brother. Can you? Oh, I can. <laughs> Somebody told me that Drunky Two Shoes killed her brother. <gasps> is that true? Did you? No. You son of a bitch. I mean, she could have had like an episode where maybe she, didn't remember. she doesn't remember what happened. All Did right. she? It's up to you. No. You're the storyteller. I didn't. That you I know still of. believe Daryl's alive. Da- I think Daryl Two Shoes is going to have to come back, and our other brother Daryl as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Oh, she would be so happy. Yeah, we got to have that return. Okay. Uh, and then we also have to uh, listen to this amazing interview. Can't wait. Let's take a gander to gander, the Adventurers Guild. Another bird reference. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a dander. Uh, so we have Zach Lauren Clark. That's me. Hello. Hi, Hello. Zach. And Hello. Uh, Nick Eliopoulos. Is that right? Hi there. That's an excellent name. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm fond of it. Really good. <laughs> Did I pronounce it at least slightly correctly? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely within within the uh, the, the right so area. The range <laughs> of acceptable. We, we allow some variation in how the vowels are pronounced. So. Nice. That's good. Uh, as being D&D fans, I'm sure you're okay with uh, people mispronouncing things that they've only read and not ever said out loud. We don't even agree on many of the pronunciations in our own books, so we're yes. totally fine with what we're doing. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right. So you guys are uh, friends and uh, authors, co-authors. Co-authors, yeah. Yes. Of a new yeah, series. We've been, uh, we've been best friends for something like 14 years uh, and we've been playing Dungeons and Dragons together for something like 10 years. And as of a few years ago, we've been writing partners as well. Uh, and we, uh, we work collaboratively on our, on our novel series, basically taking turns uh, on chapters and passing chapters back and forth. Oh. Sort of in the spirit of cooperative storytelling that yeah. comes from, from D&D game, right? right? 
I, I've always heard of this happening in theory, but to actually see that it works. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. And, I mean, in some ways, it's, it's much easier because I get credit for having written a book while I've only actually done the writing on half of the book, which is, which is really great. I have a lot of unfinished novels, and it turns out that the trick to finishing was was to only do half. Just book. have a friend help you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I particularly love that your bio is always that you guys specify that you're best friends. Oh, yeah. So that's very, it's very important. Everywhere I read, it's like, they are I, best friends. And I think if you're going to write a novel with, with a buddy, it has it has to be the best friend. But it could also go terribly awry. Like, they say, like, yes, you should never, right, like, do sure. business with friends for, you know, that very reason. But it seems like it's worked out for you guys. We have many years of cooperative storytelling through tabletop gaming right. under our belts before we figured this was even, like, a safe endeavor to try. Right. Um, but it's worked out okay. Yeah. That's good. And I was yeah to me about it is that part of the reason that's that's part of our bio and sort of part of our story as authors is that the characters we're writing in our books are best friends as well. Yeah. Oh. As we're getting into later books in the series, there is a lot of strain in the friendship. So we're sort of constantly, maybe even secretly hoping for more conflict between us. <laughs> right. You know, update the bio for the last book with, oh, they used to be best friends. They are former <laughs> friends. But now they hate each other's guts. Yes. <laughs> so when you when you're writing when you're passing chapters back and forth, are you each taking on the perspective of one of the characters, or are you just whatever feels like coming out comes out? Yeah, we uh, we really kind of treated it like a D and D game. We did some uh, front loaded world building when we got started with the series, and then based on this document that we had, we each created a character. And I think the the prompt was Nick just said, "Create your character, jump into the world, and go." And that's kind of what I did. I wrote a first chapter. I knew some some basic ideas of who his character was. Uh, but then I, I passed it to him with a cliffhanger, and it was his turn to pick it up from there. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. So those out of those 14 years, you guys have always been best friends? There was never any time that you weren't? <laughs> We're, we're really going to like harp we're on gonna this. We're going to dig in. By the end of this hour, you're not going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, you needed conflict, right? Zach was living in Florida and I was in New York and, and we were not we were not really best friends at, at that point, but we kept in touch and unfortunately Zach ended up in New York uh, as well. So we I'm, were able to pick up where we left off. Yeah. I'm glad you were able to escape yeah. the clutches of the swamps of Florida. Right. Oh man, we're, we're happy to be here for sure. Although it's a little swampy outside in New York tonight. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you guys said you're in Brooklyn. Where, where, what neighborhood? Uh, we're currently at my place in Park Slope, uh, a little west of the park. And I live south of the park in Ditmas Park. Oh, I love Ditmas. I have a friend. One part of Brooklyn that has the nice Victorian home. Yeah. 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 I have a friend who lives down there. And uh, that was, going to visit her was always hard because you'd have to be on, like, the, was it the N train or the Q? And you're going you know, for yeah. a long, long time. And then I was yes. like, where are we? This is not New How can this be Brooklyn Something's still? Wrong. There's houses <laughs> with sidewalks and bushes and trees and landscaping. And it makes no sense. It's definitely a trade-off. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, the so the west of uh, so uh, Park Slope. So the actual I was I was thinking east of it, but you know you're th- the actual uh, uh, real Park Slope area. I like that as well. That's uh, yeah. It's a it's a really I'm very new to the neighborhood, um, but it's beautiful, and I've got a dog who uh, absolutely adores the park. Um, so we get out there with her as much as we can. Sweet. Yeah, being that close to a, a, a big prospect park is uh, is ideal when you're, li- yeah, li- yeah. When you're city living. Yep. 
Yeah, it can be a real challenge getting uh, our D&D group together sometimes, though, because the difference between living sort of, you know, five or six or seven stops out in Brooklyn mm -hmm. versus friends from the Upper East Side or the West Side. Uh, that's been sort of a, a lot of our story <laughs> as D&D players in New York has been the constant renegotiation of where we're going to meet. Yeah. And, and initially, we actually got started. We had to meet in public spaces because no one had a private space large enough to accommodate the game. So our very earliest sessions were were, uh, were quite in the open and in, in various food courts and such. We did this shop uh, interview sort of in character for our first D&D game at a, in a giant food court. And it was a little mortifying, um, but also kind of a blast. It was a, a great way to, to just jump right in. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, there was, there when I was there, there was a uh, specific... Um, lunch place that was only open basically during lunchtime for in midtown right and then right. they realized that they you know they still had it was like basically convenience store level of stuff in the and then once they opened it up to gamers to come in they had all this evening business uh nice. you know because there were basically people come in buy you know soda or drinks or snacks or whatever and uh they opened the doors kind of that's reluctantly kind of yeah but i was like oh gosh why don't more places in midtown do this it's you know? smart because like you said like a lot of people in new york don't have place is big enough big spaces, to have right. groups of people over. So yeah. It's kind of genius. The only way I, the most time that I played in New York was uh, a friend of mine in the Upper West Side who, uh, he rented an apartment just to play D&D in. What? Wow. Yeah. That is commitment. Yeah. He was, well, he was uber rich and his wife was, you know, had a great job uh, and didn't like that we were invading so their apartment. He apart He could yeah. like Airbnb that as like. Just complete. It was before here. the Airbnb days of Airbnb. By the hour. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that big. I mean, it was about it was a studio, so it was about the size of yeah, this room. That's all you're doing in there. That's all we needed. I fit a big table. Uh, I think he even got one of the uh, the the geek chic tables at one point. That's so decadent. And oh. it was just in there, and we went and we played D and D there. Like it was fantastic. Apartment. The gaming apartment. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic, but it was the only way to really make it work. Yeah, because <laughs> it's very very hard. So, who is this group that you guys are playing with? How long have you been playing with them? We've been playing with uh, the same dungeon master for for the ten years that we've been playing. I think it's actually wow. it's, we decided it's nine years. Yeah, almost, almost a decade. So some people have joined and some people have left over the over the course of that time. But we've got sort of the same core group of, of guys. And as we were actually writing our book, uh, the the book sort of takes place in almost a, a, a fantasy like world, almost Lord of the Rings like and Dungeons and Dragons like. And we have these uh, sort of historical heroes that are a big part of the the story of what happened to this world. And we named them after our earliest adventuring crew. Imagine that they had bungled big time in a way that ended the world uh, before the book even started. That's cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's very... New York, pretty much everyone in the group is either uh, a lawyer or working in publishing or writing in some capacity. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really kind of fun balance of the super creative and the super sort of rules-driven. A little antagonistic. Yeah. <laughs> rules lawyering, it's yep, a thing. It really actual lawyers lawyer. like yes. doing it. It's weird. <laughs> you need to have... Every game group needs an actual lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when the lawyers play against type, though, and they're the ones who are like, I don't care what the rules are. I'm chaotic evil. Really <laughs> I'm off the clock, man. I'm off the clock. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So why don't you tell us about your series? I don't even know if we've mentioned the name. I was just going to say we have not mentioned the title. It's a, it's an amorphous thing. What's the thing. name of the series that we keep talking it's a, about? It's a little hard to pronounce. It's the Adventurers Guild. Oh. Where is the uh, apostrophe? Uh, yeah, that's the very important. A few apostrophes. There's really. no apostrophe. What? So many arguments years. about the yes. apostrophe with our we... editor, with our agents. Yeah, you don't you don't <laughs> technically need it. Uh, you, you could argue it either way, and, and we can certainly get into the details if you'd like. Um, well, as when, as as uh, I just want before we move on from the apostrophe, that is a very important thing in D anD D as well. We always have that conversation of like, where is it going to be? If you notice our most recent uh, Guild Masters Guide to Ravnica, the apostrophe is after the S. It's the right, oh right, plural yes, yeah. possessive. And that was another possibility for the Adventurers Guild too, because there there are many there are multiple adventurers guild, or is it a guild for each adventurer? Uh, <laughs> and we decided we just wanted to circumvent the entire issue and just like just no true. But sadly, I'm still making you talk about it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but yes, so it is a middle grade fantasy adventure series. So target ages anywhere from eight to thirteen or so. Uh, and it is, it's a trilogy. So the first book came out about a year ago and the second book just came out, uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Do you uh, want to talk a little bit about the setup? Yeah. It, uh, so I mentioned that it takes place in sort of, a, a almost a Lord of the Rings Dungeons and Dragons world. There's knights and wizards and monsters, um, but we wanted to give it a little bit of a twist. So we went post-apocalyptic mm. and that, that 200 years ago, uh, there, a, a ritual happened. These, these four heroes, uh, their friend was trying to barter for more power and accidentally ended up opening the world to every plane of existence beyond it. Uh, and from these planes, monsters spilled in, they took over, uh, they kind of slaughtered the, the whole face of this world, except for a few cities that now remain. Um, mm. And no one really leaves the safety of these cities anymore. Um, they, they live these very sequestered lives, uh, except in, in our main city, Freestone, there's one guild, the Adventurers Guild, whose job it is is to go outside and explore and uh, and fight the monsters that are out there. So we were obviously really inspired, like sort of in the very core of the concept is that idea of the, the points of light. Yeah. Like the, 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 the cities that are surrounded by wilderness. And we just wanted to push that to extremes and just imagine there. Yeah, there are points of light, but there's only five points of light left in the entire world. And everything else is super, super dangerous. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really where we started. I dig that. That's, I mean, that's uh, at the core of what all D&D is to a certain extent, that there was this powerful society that somehow collapsed. It doesn't matter how, but somehow it collapsed. And then that's why there's dungeons and powerful artifacts and things hidden underground from uh, the ancient magic that was there. Right. And, uh, and of course, the monsters. And of course, the I monsters. monsters. <laughs> the monsters are really at the heart of everything that we're doing. Right. Uh, what yeah. kinds of monsters are they? All kinds of monsters. Uh, so book two, which just came out, is specifically our undead book. Ooh. It's called Twilight of the Elves. And you find that one of the other few cities that are out there, the Elven City, uh, has fallen to a lich. So uh, so the elves sort of come to Freestone for help. They're pursued by the undead hordes. And uh, as we were crafting the world, we, we figured out what each of these planes beyond the world were and figured out what kinds of monsters we would want to be interacting with over the course of the series and figured out wh- which of these planes might they come from. So we've got this whole document that uh, like 20, 25 pages or something that's just full of facts about the world. And, and there are specific places that these monsters come from. And, and hopefully we get to glimpse as many of them as possible. That's pretty cool. 
are are the main characters there are there just two of them or is there like a whole party of of adventurers yeah well we really started with just the two who are our point of view characters so zach is writing from the viewpoint of zed who is a half elf he's a sorcerer so he's one of the few people in this town who has sort of like a natural connection to magic uh, and my main character is Brock, who's a human boy. They're best friends, like I said. Brock is, is essentially our rogue character. He's, mm. the, he's the sweet talker, charmer, uh, who will also sort of pick your pocket while he's... <laughs> uh, so we started with that, and then naturally you start kind of building a larger party as, as you're going. And Zach and I, as we passed chapters back and forth, we would create additional characters as we needed them. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it would be little more than a name. Sometimes you get a name and a personality trait, and then the next person, whoever's turn it was to write the next chapter, would sort of layer on top of them. Um, so we ended up actually like our favorite characters in the books aren't even the, the two that the two we started with. Right, yeah. uh, we have uh, Liza, who is the girl who wanted to be a knight in this world, but she mm. ends up in the Adventurers Guild. So she kind of is the uh, de facto leader of of the recruits of the like the twelve year olds who joined the Adventurers Guild, and she's just she's a joy to write yeah. because she doesn't have <laughs> she doesn't have any of the hangups that Zed has. She doesn't have um, Brock's sort of uh, overconfidence and arrogance. Uh, so she's she's actually one of our favorites to write. Ooh, Another one like is uh, get her own book. Created, uh, the sort of guildmaster of the adventurers together, um, and it's one of the, I think really truly collaborative characters that we each mm-hmm. added bits and pieces to. And somehow over the course of the series, we, we kind of felt like she became our anti-Dumbledore. In <laughs> um, the way that Dumbledore is this very warm, wise, compassionate leader of Hogwarts, and he really wants to like take care of Harry and make sure that the kids are, are, are all cared for. Uh, Alabazel Frond, who's the, the head of the adventurers, is just this tough as nails, like a little bit disgusting, like rude, crude woman who is like constantly spitting everywhere. The Adventures Guild Hall is filled with these like half full spittoons. That Ew, she's um, she, she became this character that started out a little bit villainous, mm-hmm. but uh, really cares for the kids in a way that I think you only slowly realize over the course of the series. Mm-hmm. And even writing it, I only slowly realized. I, I thought we were writing a villain when we introduced her and uh, she's ended up being my favorite hero of the group. Wow, interesting how that happens. They kind of tell yeah. their own story. Yeah, 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 right. In a lot of ways, and also just um, again, writing with a partner, you don't always know what they're going to add to the character. You can come in with certain ideas, but until we actually got the ideas down on the page, uh, it was all sort of un- unformed. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you guys have like an outline when yeah. before you wrote this, or was it really just kind of like? Yeah, we decided <laughs> not to start gonna... with an outline. I could, t- I could tell from his grimace, your grimace, that you're like. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this, is not, this is not how writers should do it. I am not advocating this. <laughs> I, I'm a big outliner, and Nick is not. I think yeah. Nick enjoyed the spontaneity uh, of, of not knowing what was coming ahead, and it always makes me a little bit nervous. Um, we started just totally improv. We we knew some basic rules about the world and went back and forth, and then at some point we realized as we were writing that there was a mystery, and we both had to know where this mystery was going. Um, so at that point, we did some some very light outlining. Um, we had sort of a beginning and an end, and everything in between there we we figured out as we went. And it really was chapter by chapter. Like you yeah. did a chapter, you did one back and yes. forth, yes. back and yes. forth. And what would you do if you got a chapter? Like say, Zach, you got a chapter back from Nick, and you were like, "Oh hell no, this isn't <laughs> yes. not so, what I thought." What do you do? Uh, 
Three months ago, we would have told you this never happened. Uh, and and we played it like a game of yes and, and you just had to sort of keep rolling with things. But uh, in, in writing, we're actually revising our third book right now, uh, the third book in the trilogy, and ran up against, I think, the very first instance where uh, where you, you introduced a story beat. Nick told me uh, as he sent me the chapter, like, listen, I don't know what you're going to think about this. It might be problematic. Uh, why, why don't you read it and sleep on it? And we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, and I read it and I slept on it. And he hated it. And I called Nick. Uh, and I, I kind of, it was, it was a little bit of a blur in the conversation, but I just remember apologizing. Um, like I felt bad that I didn't like it. And I felt bad that I had ruined our narrative of like, never having an argument right. over the fight uh, over the, the story but we're actually you know we're going around and we're talking to, to schools to classes of kids and stuff and i think it's actually more valuable than yeah. we can say we had disagreements and it would be met. weird if you didn't really right. yeah right? Right. it's like yeah. meeting a couple who've been married for 50 years and like we never, we never fought, fought ever nor yeah. have we ever hung out with each other <laughs> <laughs> We've n- exactly. we don't live together we don't live together we <laughs> sleep in slipper beds thousands of miles away but we've never fought you know it's, it's it's fantasy so it's interesting that you know you guys had that fantasy of like oh we're gonna be these best friends and work on this right. together and never have any conflict. Uh, and so maybe that's why Shelly and I were trying to get you guys to get conflict right away. Because <laughs> we don't, we don't understand. That us. doesn't make any sense. No way. You know, Shelly hates me most of the time. Obviously. So. <laughs> <laughs> we remember very fondly a moment in writing the first book where I had, for the first time I gave Zach a cliffhanger that really stumped him. And I, I remember uh, the text that he sent where he said, Hey man, great chapter. Good job. Do you have any idea, you know, how the characters get out of this one? Like, I was like, no. I was like, this is, this is the game. It's not that I've never been But we've rolled with it for the right, most part. Right. Wow. But that's so interesting, writing a novel sequentially mm-hmm. like that, you know, especially one that has these different point of view characters. I mean, that's part of... You know, uh, I, I have many unfinished fantasy novels as well, Nick. Uh, but uh, you know, you that just was always need one of them. To I need. I need yeah, well, is there, is there room for a third and a fourth? Do you want to join in? Yeah, why we'll not? start. You could be Liza. Okay. Uh, yeah. She's gonna get her own book. I can tell. So yeah, she, she actually needs one. She's yeah. Kind of a- Isn't that how? Didn't Bob Salvatore tell us that, that Dritz was originally a sidekick? Yeah, he was just a side character. Yeah. So and I didn't know that. yeah. yeah. That's it's true. So you know, crazy things can come. But yes. like, that's that's amazing that it was this sequential way of writing it, rather than you know the way I had imagined writing a novel like this was outlining it and then being like, all right, well, I'm going to write all of these POVs or all of these POVs and have that story kind of be complete and and that whole thing. It's yeah, and I mean, honestly, I just I feel like we owe D and D so much um, because we really we felt like we had sort of years of practice of passing the storytelling ball back and forth. And, mm. and really what we what we were finding when we when we were first playing is that we would do all of this extra work and we wanted to write elaborate backstories for our characters. And then we would actually take turns after a session, one of us would write the journal entry, sort of recapping what had happened. So we were actually, we were writing tons and we really were, you know, it, it wasn't just us and we had a DM um, and other uh, other people there as well. But we felt like we were we were already kind of doing this in a way. We mm-hmm. were really just passing a baton around in a circle, and a story was was taking form um, as a result. 
And the novel was similar, uh, but with the benefit of, you know, actually getting to go back and revise and fix things and streamline things. So, yeah. So are there elements in the, in the book or, or, be, or with the two main characters that are actually based on things from your D&D game or from your D&D characters? Yeah, that's more the case with the with the older characters, right? Like the and the the backstory of this world being based in some of the characters that we'd actually played and, and imagining that they had done a really poor job. I think we drew inspiration from ourselves and from each other for the main characters, and, and certainly from the characters that we enjoy playing. I I always play a mage of some kind. I love elves, and I, I tend to play elven or half elven characters. So that's that sort of got poured into Zed. Um, right. And, you love playing the the sort of smart Alec rogues who don't use magic and have to sort of maneuver in a world right. where, where magic is everywhere. Right, and it's actually it's interesting because the last couple of characters I've played, I've had to deviate. I've, I've not played a rogue in a while because I felt like I was spending so much time as a rogue and, and writing these books. Mm. Uh, so I've actually been been experimenting a bit more with some of the players or yeah, some yeah. of the characters. I totally identify with that. Where it's like you know you have your trope that you go back to, but then yeah. if you do that for 10 years you're kind of like all right i i i know that trope let's mm-hmm. let's right. let's right. try doing some others fortunately there are enough different types of spellcasters but i'm liking the elf the elf uh, and half elf uh, affinity i think yep. i think you have yeah yeah <laughs> some fans here too well, i guess you could even use your D games as a way to try out some story hooks or character yeah. plots yeah. or something and that, that's actually something what we'd really like to do going forward. Like I said, we've actually been we've been on tour a bit. We've been going into classrooms and talking to kids. And kids know D and D right now. Like it's it's a real moment for it. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about your school like, visits. Yeah, that's uh, what's that? I was going to ask you about the school visits. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, they've been kind of a crowd. We actually just got back from one. Uh, we had one last week uh, where we t- hopped around the south a little bit. And one of the things we talk about is how we started the genesis of this and playing D and D. And we we, at, we always ask the kids like whether they've heard of it, whether they know the rules. And I think even between last year and this year, yeah. we've seen kids like knowledge of the game mechanics kind of explode in this way. We, oh, wow. we always have at least one kid who comes and joins us in the back of the end to ask like, "What do you play? Which edition?" <laughs> but kids are really aware of this uh, this game and 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 even kind of how you play it in a way that they were not five years ago or right. even 10. And, uh, and sort of our whole program when we get up there in front of the kids is uh, we, among other things, we have them create a character with us. So we'll no sort way. of go around the room and we'll, you know, we'll ask for a personality trait from one kid and another kid will give us likes and a dislike. Uh, and it's so much fun because the kid, the kids get really into it. Uh, and of course we always end up with totally different characters. You never get, you never get the same character twice. Um, although a lot of the characters end up liking like chicken nuggets. Yeah, some end, some, some end up sillier than others. Yes. Some some get very earnest about it, and some do not. Yeah. So so we're we're really finding that kids are sort of receptive to the idea of telling a story together, and and this idea that like you could actually craft a character that is all of ours instead of something that you're just doing yeah. alone by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that part would be really fun for kids i keep having like, this oh, fantasy my son's in kindergarten now and like uh, i want to do something D with that class but like not just overtly D, but like is it a character creation like help them like just guide them through like some kind of fun character and then maybe the next week they go on like a little adventure or something mm-hmm. it's like i just feel like there's something yeah because they're just at that age where they just love the stories and they love to contribute my son is constantly 
interrupting our stories to tell it. No, no, no. It should be like it's this. It's like this. And oh, let's cool. make him do this. And now he's going to do that. See, my girls just love making characters. Like They well, just love the say, idea the of making characters and drawing them. Love. Yeah. Right. It was, I was really proud. Dad, was it three or four nights ago where they pulled out uh, what they wanted to read that night was Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Oh awesome. my god! <laughs> I was like, okay, let's read about some subclasses. Yep, the monster manual's been in our rotation for a while. That's a good one too, because yeah. it just got the great pictures of the thing, and then yeah. you can kind of there's enough of being like, hey, this is like a like an encyclopedia entry on on this monster. Yeah, well, I, I brought a bunch of those the core rule books to his after school program, mm-hmm. and it just warms my heart when I go to pick up pick them up at the end of the day, and there's usually like like a lot of little girls who are just like. Flipping through the monster manuals. <laughs> yeah. Like I saw one of them like really studying uh, the Dungeon Master screen, like Ooh. reading all the stuff on the back of it. I'm like, yeah. and I always knew she would be a DM. Like you could just like since she was three years old. She's a leader. Very much so. Yeah. Very bossy. Like very take charge. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cultivate that. Yes, for sure. But I'd love that. <laughs> I was reading all about your school visits and I thought, oh, that's gotta be so much fun. Maybe a little it frustrating really sometimes, but fun for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually I have nephews who um, I'm I'm very excited to run a game for, but uh, I haven't done it yet. But they're asking questions about it. Yeah, and they're, they're two boys, and they're very competitive with each other and with their friends. So what they've actually gotten fixated on is the idea of the of the skills and the idea that you can't be good at everything. You have to actually like pick the two skills you want to be good, good at. Lesson. And this kind of blew their mind because they're used to playing games where like. I you can want do this you can, and you can do whatever you this. want. I want to do everything. I want to be the best. And, and that's actually something that I think has opened their minds to, to some storytelling ideas that they weren't picking up on before. Mm. Yeah, that you need to work together as yeah. a group. I mean, that's kind of a, really yeah. good for them. No one person can do it all. It's like a, it's like a school project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like way more fun. But <laughs> yeah. way more fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I usually turn most of my school projects into some kind of role playing, though. That's that was the secret <laughs> to make it more fun. It was like let's put on a show and it'll be yeah very so Greg Tito very D and D like let's put on a show. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely invoked some of my rogue characters when having difficult conversations at work. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Times where I would be very nervous. I think well no like I know how how my character would do this. I'll just I'll just role play that. Just steal somebody's wallet. What would Brock do? That takes a lot of practice. No matter how many times I tried to throw a fireball at my mom, it never worked. No, they never really go off the way you expect them to. Usually just got water all over them. It's nice to imagine. (laughs) But I saw also that you visit um, gaming clubs at schools too. Yeah, so that's something we haven't uh, actually really had a chance to do yet. We put that up. uh, We put that out there because it's something we want to do. We have visited some after school book clubs. Uh, who are specifically really into fantasy. Mm. Um, but that's kind of the next stage. And what we really want to be doing is the idea that, you know, we could run a workshop or or visit a gaming club and, and sort of show how one thing can lead to another, how sort of gaming and writing can really work hand in hand. Yeah. I know. I like the the idea that these kids are learning. Like, I think you even have it on your website. Like, your geeky hobby can turn into a career. Yeah, right. And that's uh, that's a, kind of a big part of our message. Yeah. We we go in and we just admit from the very beginning uh, with our very first slide that we are huge nerds and we tell them about all the nerdy things that we love. And you see some kids sort of looking at us sort of skeptically, uh, but there are some um, who just kind of perk up. Um, and, and we sort of get to talk about like, we 
we didn't know we could become writers. Writing seemed really intimidating, but we were doing this stuff anyway. We, we had our nerdy loves and we just kind of poured that into, into a story. How have you stayed uh, disciplined to continue writing? I mean, you know, you, as someone who identifies with having a lot of unfinished projects <laughs> out there, what's, what's, the, what's the push? Once you sign up a, a series, because you know, we, we started book one in, I think, early 2014, mm-hmm. and it wasn't published until late 2017. So there was, there was a lot of time for us to, to get it right and to share it with writing groups and get feedback and... Um, but then when we actually signed up with a publisher for book one, they signed up books two and three at the same time. Uh, so we, we've had to write these sequels under under an actual deadline. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly, deadline the we're doing became <laughs> a little bit more like work. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it, it was great. And, uh, you know, Nick and I, having a writing partner actually kind of, I think, really helped in this regard. We both had tons of unfinished projects, but... If uh, if Nick handed me a chapter and I read the end of it and I was just so excited, I, I suddenly had this impetus to continue. And then I could cut the chapter off and be like, you know what? I'm done here. Yep. Nick, it's your turn. Mm. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. I do too. Like being able to get to like a – because what that, what that does is create a whole bunch of uh, smaller internal deadlines but yeah, with yeah. also instant gratification because mm-hmm. – right. Yes. You know, I, if you're alone by yourself writing an entire novel, you're like, you finished a chapter, who, who yeah. are you going to give it to? Oh, Nobody cares. There's no one to tell you how great you are. Exactly. Right. And, and to keep writing. <laughs> I want to see what happens next, right? And I right. think when I was the most prolific was when I was in writing classes where it was like, you needed to bring something in the next, yes. the next week. And you or, get that feedback. And you get that feedback, but then you also be like, oh, I got to have something to turn in or, you know, that's really crappy of me not to have something, right? So... Yeah, it's creating that for 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 you know for each individual author that's out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, set up set up accountability. Yeah, yeah. Be accountable to someone, and you'll actually get it done. And and certainly, if, if someone says that I have something due in a year, I'm not going to start it for eleven months. But yeah. If, if I have a chapter due to Zach, and Zach, I'm seeing Zach for lunch, and he's going to ask where the chapter is. Yeah. What's the turnaround time for chapters? Like how often oh, or how ooh, how long does it take? Yeah. To... <laughs> I think uh, Nick's a little slower. I am a little slower. Um, but that's why we have those weekly lunch meetings. Yes. Uh, but I, when pressed, I have been able to turn out a chapter in a couple of days. But when left to my own devices, I really need I need a couple of weeks. I need I need time to really sit with it and think about it. And even though I don't I don't like to plot. So that often means that I'm coming into a chapter and it's a total blank page. Mm. Um, and I just really like, I like the time to sort of plot by myself before I actually start the writing. And that, that takes time. Sounds like you guys have a lot of uh, skills that uh, you, know, you can't be good at everything. <laughs> <laughs> a little skill. Like you're like, you balance each other. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can, we, I can. Um, you know, and, and in our day jobs, Nick was once a, a book editor, and I still am a book editor. Um, so we work these kind of book schedules all the time. It's it's kind of part and parcel for our lives at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So we're familiar at least with, with how this stuff gets off the ground and how you manage a schedule. Yeah, and Zach in particular was the editor for a series called Spirit Animals. Yeah. It was published by Scholastic, which was great and had this gaming component, but it was also a series where every book was written by a different author. Mm. So Zach actually kind of has this professional experience of corralling these different visions yeah. into a 
to pull, and he was he was essentially a lore master. I was kind of the DM, yeah, yeah. for this story. I, oh, I cool. had an even larger document than the one that we were working with, and I got to crack the whip for fantasy continuity in this series right. in a way that was a little fun. Got to be the rules lawyer. There you go. It's fun to be that once in a while. Right. It means it makes sense <laughs> yeah, within fun. the world. So uh, what happens if, if, if the, uh, a chapter doesn't get turned in? At the right moment, they are no longer best friends. Are there? Yeah, I know, right? Is that what happened? <laughs> best friend status <laughs> revoked. <laughs> a, a, a snarky gif gets thrown your way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> As the series goes, we have been a little looser with our deadlines, um, but but by and large, uh, there's not too much whip cracking. I don't know. You can speak to this better. Well, and uh, I mean, honestly, Zach and I share so much of our social lives that I'll, you know, I'll tell them like, Hey, I really plan to have this chapter done, but we're supposed to play D and D tonight. And tomorrow we're going to a concert. So we're going to need, unless you think I should just cancel. Not do this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, oh, oh. That does not work yep. well. I'm sensing that there is at least, uh, uh, one of you who is more strict about deadlines. Yep. I yeah, have that same right. sense. Yeah. <laughs> not going to name names, but I think we all know. But it's Shelly. <laughs> with your friends. Uh, yeah. One of you needs to care yeah. about that Yeah, and that, that goes with the, uh, you know, the whole partnership here of having your skills mesh. I think that, that right. makes a lot yeah. of sense. And do your styles mesh, too? Like, do you guys have a similar writing style? Is it easy for the reader to tell who's writing which chapter or we're not supposed to know or our friends tell us they can tell the different chapters apart and could from the beginning. Um, readers who don't know us well have have not been quite so sure. Um, right. And people have asked us, uh, even upon reading it, how did you do this? Did you alternate the viewpoints? Um, which I think is a good sign that, that the chapters yeah. mesh yeah. pretty well. I was worried for a while because I think we, we do definitely have our different strengths and weaknesses. And there were there were times where I was afraid there would be almost a whiplash sensation moving from Zach does these these just wonderfully uh, sad and serious. He does the. I'm a little bit of a pathos junkie, um, <laughs> and then I I always go for the joke. I can't no matter how dire the situation, my characters are making jokes. Um, but that seems to have actually worked out, and, and on the whole, it feels balanced. Yeah, um, and it, it's challenged me to be funnier. You know, I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Nick's character Brock is just so funny, and in Nick, Nick's chapter, she's just constantly cracking me up. So I know that I have to get like at least a good joke or two when he's when he's in my chapters. Um, so it's like it's been a fun exercise in broadening my abilities. Yeah, mm. that's really interesting. So if you know you're writing a character from your point of view, but then the the other character is in those scenes, yeah, yeah. Uh, does that do you have a lot of Discussion? Are you ever like, oh, my character would never say that type things? Yeah. Do you get? Do you feel possessive about your characters? I mean, I definitely pay attention. Um, I, I I take a close look, but I feel like I feel like we've done a good job of sort of explaining in the books and to each other who these characters are, and we're really respectful about it. I'll, I'll say that like Nick occasionally writes Zed uh, gives gives him a trait that's something I totally wouldn't have thought of. But it only ever kind of enriches him for me. Uh, I, 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 you'll write him in a way that suddenly it's like I never would have thought of this, but I love it, and I'm so happy to like pick up this baton and run with it a little further. Right. Yeah, you guys are, you guys are too good. To I know. Care. I was just gonna say, I'd be like, no, <laughs> seriously, Brock is way funnier. You're not funny. <laughs> Maybe that is a funny joke, but it's not the joke that that I would make for Brock. 
<laughs> Why are you always gonna be crying? <laughs> I'm gonna write all of your characters. Zed's crying because he's a little baby. <laughs> See, this is why Michelle and I are not. We should try to write a book together. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. But they're so good at it. We'd be like, uh, well, maybe screw it this. brings them closer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, we're about to play Betrayal Legacy and murder each other in a right. field somewhere. Let's play. Let's do it better. Let's play Diplomacy, Ugh. then play Legacy, and then write a book. And then write a book together. <laughs> All right, this is gonna be good. That sounds like a very full weekend. It's, <laughs> totally. it's gonna take like four years. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh great. man. So uh, you're in the middle of writing the third book now, or revising. 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 Oh, so you've done. already done the the chapter back and forth, and you're you're done. Yeah. Wait, how do it you was revise it? Due to our editor today. Yes. But you had a podcast. <laughs> well, you were doing promotions basically. Yeah. Yeah. This is key. This is important. <laughs> so with, with the revising, how does that work? Do you go back to your own re- individual chapters or? We, we do it back and forth. And I'll say that's probably not the most efficient way to do it, but um, it's kind of just the way we have to. I right. we, if, if we have to go back and change something in earlier chapters, we do. But um, I, I think we just have to do it sequentially, yeah. Yeah, so basically what I'm doing as I work through the revision is if, uh, if it's my turn to look at my chapter six, I will reread Zach's chapter five to see any changes he's made this round. Then I'll reread my chapter six and address the editor's concerns. And then I'll read a bit into chapter seven to make sure that the flow is sort of there. Mm. So in some ways, the revision feels uh, like a lot more work and is, is in some ways as time consuming as writing because then you end up rereading some of the same chapters over, over oh. and over. Yeah. Um, but we do try to respect one another's writing in that case. So I'm not going in and making changes to Zach's chapters. I will weigh in uh, if the editor has flagged something in his chapter, and I might say, I agree or I don't agree, or let's talk about this. Um, and I also feel like the revision is kind of where we leave notes for each other. Yeah. Because to do that in the drafting process could really derail things unless there's a big problem. So this is really kind of our opportunity to give each other feedback and to say, you know, even just a, a simple level of like, this joke isn't landing or something like that. Mm. That happens in this stage. About how how long are the chapters that you guys are talking about in length? Uh, I think I, my chapters tend to be a little too long. So for book three, we've been a little more conscious about that. Um, right. There are some which in in a Word doc might be as few as six or seven pages and some that almost get up to 20. Right. Yeah, we're writing for kids, so we really try mm. to keep it short and, and give them nice breaks in between. Uh, but we're also writing for fantasy readers. So I, I think with the first book, we did a good job of keeping everything really short and moving quickly. And then in the second book, we relaxed a little bit. And we thought, you know, if they read the first book and they came back for this, like they're going to yeah. they're gonna cut us some slack if we want to have a 20-page 20, uh, 20 chapter. Um, also with, the, with book one, our two characters were always in the same place at the same time. And in book two, we wanted to have some things up. Branch out. Yeah, so there were times where Zach just had a lot of plot to cover when it was his turn to write a chapter because his character was seeing something that my character wasn't seeing. I see. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because that's that. I didn't, that was one part of the discussion we hadn't got to was like how much material are you guys sending back and forth. But if it's only, you know, up to kind of twenty pages on a Word doc, that's not too much to to kind of, you know. Yeah, digest yeah, at one time not, it's not too intense and, and writing for kids is i think uh 
a, a little less intimidating. And certainly in, when you're talking about not plotting ahead or not outlining ahead, I think with the kids' books and our experience as editors, we kind of have this natural sense of, of when things need to turn and when, you know, when act one is done and you're getting into a second act. Um, I think writing an adult novel would be a whole different yeah. story. And also, like, I feel like a lot of the adult fantasy I read, there are a lot more points of view. You're actually mm. you're floating around quite a bit um, in a way that doesn't happen as much with kids' books. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Zach, you're, you edit children's books. Yes. So did you also, Nick? Were you in children's I did. I, that was my job. That's basically what I moved to New York to do. Uh, I moved in 2004 and uh, just just quit last year to focus on writing full time. And you were doing children's books or, or all kinds of books? Children's books. Yeah. So we worked at the same company um, and worked on kind of similar things. When, when Nick left the company, I ended up inheriting a lot of his projects. Yes. <laughs> You guys even worked at the same company. I know we got. We had. We used to get coffee every day. Every day. Oh my <laughs> god! Is that is that how you guys met? Was that the job? No, we met. We met actually in Florida. We both we both grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and we both went to school in Gainesville. But uh, but we're five years apart, so we didn't end up at the same school at any point until Zach was in college and I was working for the university. They had a, a, an academic press, University mm-hmm. Press of Florida. And I lived in a house that was known as the Sea Turtle House because it was during the day it was a the front like a front office for a nonprofit uh, that helped tropical sea life. Oh. Uh, and during the night, I hosted these like raging parties. <laughs> <laughs> Gainesville was uh, was a party town. Yeah. So Zach showed up at one of these parties wearing like a, a, a giant tropical, tropical shirt, shirt, like and because of the because of the tropical connection. And Nick lent me his his. We started talking about comics and and. Nick lent me his very favorite comic series uh, at the time, which was Runaways. Um, he said, you have to read this. And they were in these like, you know, pristine plastic uh, guards. And I was not a very responsible book borrower. I, I, I think I took them to the beach sometime and they got very sandy. So I couldn't, little wet. couldn't believe the condition he returned to my, my comics. In. Oh, no. I think they're actually worth something now. <laughs> they would be if they didn't yeah, have they sand all over them. Um, and but I, I sort of had this wonderful epiphany where I thought, you know, because because he loved the books and we got to talk about them. And, and I thought, you know, I could have these things sealed up in pristine condition in the bottom of my closet or they could have been shredded and, and dragged through the dirt. But I have a friend who, like, wants to talk about this stuff. And that's, that's way like a good trade off. So. That's but, super sweet. Yeah, we both seem like nice guys. But Nick is actually the nice guy. He's very <laughs> patient with me. <laughs> That That's, is sweet. That is pretty sweet, right? You got a friend out of, you know, but, or you could have had some really expensive. You yeah, know, or you, you could be <laughs> retired now. But, and then, but you got a friend. It was kind of a similar experience where we neither of us had played it before uh, as kids. Um, I, I was actually always interested, um, but I kind of came up during the moral panic phase. And, like, my parents weren't, weren't cool with it. Yeah. Um, so I was always really curious about what it was. And Zach was this huge fantasy fan. Um, yeah. And we just had a mutual friend basically give us the player's handbook for the fourth edition. And and we were just totally just obsessed. Just like two weeks of constant texts and IMs. Like, did you see this? I think I want to do this. We got no work done. <laughs> um, and then we, we were on vacation a few years later when fifth edition came out. <laughs> uh, we went on a vacation to Maine with our friends. 
Uh, it was just like two days in this secluded, wonderful cabin. Beautiful, beautiful area. Oh, but super relaxing. the fifth edition player's handbook came out this weekend. So we took one of the cars and basically disappeared for one of the days while we chased gaming stores trying to find like oh. the, the few copies of this that existed in all of Maine. Right. Oh, that's so funny. Did you find it? We did. Yes. Yep. I think we had to go to like three or four places because it was it was the like the pre-release for the for the right before the gaming stores. So yeah, it was it was quite a find that weekend. That's cool. You so were, we'll you were working here at that time. Yeah, <laughs> I was working on D and D. That's right. And uh, in Maine, you probably saw Rob Davio. Yeah. <laughs> in Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Counselors right. on their, their heroin bender, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> probably got some soft serve ice cream, did some mini golf. All the things yeah. you do. Uh, and then you played some D&D. And played um, some D&D. Yeah. In, and I'm a little obsessed with the blueberry milk they have up there, which is nowhere Ooh. else in the world. Blueberry milk? Oh, yeah. It's incredible. What is I, no okay? No one else in our vacation group likes it, yeah, but I mean, it is incredible. You really have to like to like drink milk, and, like <laughs> take on large quantities of milk, and if that's the case, and you also like blueberries, is it like um like a powder, like a blueberry powder you mix into your milk, or no? It's like this it local main blueberry milk and milk. They have chocolate. They've got uh they've got strawberry, and then in, inexplicably there is this blue one that's sort of yeah. lined up with the others, and I was fascinated by it the first time we went, and have since bought like gallons and gallons of it every time we go. Mm. It does a body good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not in those quantities. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, I love everything that you guys uh, have uh, been talking about. I love uh, the process you've forged of uh, sending no, stuff back I am and inspired. forth. Yeah, I know, right? Okay. You've actually finished books before, so you're like, you know, you already got a leg up. But on, I could on this. finish them even faster if I had a buddy. <laughs> All you need is a partner. Let's do it. All right. Okay. You can be, uh, 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 <laughs> I was going to say the name. My <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, we'll save that for off the podcast. Uh, thank you guys uh, so much uh, for calling in. Uh, uh, it was it was a great conversation, and uh, I can't wait to uh, pick this up. Do you think so? My daughter is seven. Do you think she? Oh, she's ready. Uh, is ready to to jump in to the Adventurers yeah, Guild, especially if she if she is a fantasy fan. She will. She the will monsters get a little scary, but if she can handle that, for sure, yeah, she'll love it. Nice. All right. Cool. Well, we'll we'll, we'll jump in because uh, it sounds like it's uh, it's it's touches all the right buttons uh, for that kind of a story and she loves it so and what is the website for the for the book yeah it's a dayofdangers.com day of dangers and it's uh, the adventurous guild is the name of the series and the first novel right yes, yes. correct and it is out in hardcover audiobook ebook paperback any any way you like your books it's available and book 2 just came out Book two just came out. Right. Book three will be out in about a year. Good holiday gifts. The yeah. Revenge of the Elves. Wait, no. Twilight of the Elves. They have a bad day, those yeah, elves. Those nice. elves are not great. Well, if you ever need uh, uh, someone to read the audiobook, I know Shelly's got some some skills. Some voice. Oh, yeah? Them. Yeah. I could read it like um, like C-3PO, maybe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's it. That's These elves got. are attacking me. <laughs> I am on team elf. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I uh, hope you survived the hot swampiness of uh, of Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, I can't wait to get back there. It's been a while. So uh, soak it all up. 
Yep. Yeah, thank you. We, we had a blast. Thanks so much for having us. Good luck with your revisions. Yes, we're yeah. eyes away. We hope you stay best friends forever. <laughs> BFF. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Uh, those two are best, like friends. best friends for life. I know. They're I hope so they different are. than us. Yeah, <laughs> they're good friends. They elevate each other. They bring each other up where we belong. <laughs> Just like wind. our bird friends. They're the wind beneath each other's wings. <laughs> <laughs> Flapper and her brother are going to be uh, flying home. Did you ever watch The Magic Garden? No. The kid show? No, it's, it's you it's the Magic up in Garden. Connecticut. We've talked about this, and I'm like, Why I, know, I don't remember it? the Magic Garden. Oh, well. This is, I'm way younger than you are. That's part of the problem. Oh, that's right. <laughs> My, the Magic Garden was a radio program I listened to. <laughs> Did you get it on the hi-fi system? <laughs> <laughs> Let me do the crank and make sure we have enough power that to listen my to orphan, Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> and now, kids, it's time for the Magic Garden. Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that where you got the flapper from? The flapper voice inspired. from? No, it was inspired by character on the Magic Garden. Am I going to get sued? I, do you think there's someone who's like waiting to litigate f- for the Magic Garden that is a thing that nobody can remember the except for you? The character's name was Flapper. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> By ins- so it inspired means you just stole it whole no, cloth? It's you put that apostrophe art. in, so you're safe. Yes. Is that why you put the apostrophe no, in? I wanted it. I wanted a D&D <laughs> character with an apostrophe. It's it's inspired. It's it's like it's fan art. It's oh uh, yeah. All right. It's uh, fair use. That's the word you're right? looking for. Yeah. I think it's amazing, and I can't wait. So, uh, Magic Garden creators out there, uh, you can find Shelly Mazenoble at uh, at Shelly Moo. <laughs> Shelly Moo. Uh, where can they find me? At Greg Tito. That's me. Or at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you know that there's a uh, uh, conference ticketing company no. called Tito. No, that's amazing to me. So now, what do you mean? Like you, like you set up like events and conference, and it's like here's your Tito, and I'm like, what? Here's your Tito. Uh, yeah, like I, you bring your Tito to get a Tito is a thing now. I, 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 it's a brand name. Vodka. Oh, well, there's that, but that's Tito's vodka. At least that's like you know, Tito is the name of like where I would go. Of, to like the software. Tickets. No, it's like the software. It's like uh, you know Twitter or no way. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? When you do enough. Your next event, you can. I can use, use Tito. It. Yeah, and then as Nathan said, then then someone can actually blame Tito, and they can actually have something to actually blame. That hashtag I'm is probably going to start trending now. It's true. It's blaming right now. There it is. There it is. I just saw it. I just saw it in the interwaves. The, the people using hashtags. I see it. Do you know? I once saw a. Uh, it was like a workshop of a proposed Broadway musical that was set in the internet. This was like 2000. 2000. This was like 2000. the year 2000. <laughs> and they were like, going to be like, we're in the internet. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're inside a computer. There goes an email. And they're like pointing as it's no. going by. Ew. It was the worst. Come on. And then they would do like a talk back uh, to be like, all right, what did you guys think of, you know, this this workshop? And we're all like, this sucks. Uh, did you? Yeah. Well, everybody in the audience was like, I would not. And, the, you know, they tried to... to uh, get an audience of not just like New Yorkers, but like tourist people, and they're like get suckered in because they're like free free Broadway show, oh, you yeah. can go check and see it. And they're like, we didn't know we would have to do homework on how much this is awful, or uh, sit through something so awful. It was pretty bad. Really? Yeah. 
I don't even remember what it was called, so they, go, they can't assume. Uh, uh, I just got hit with spam. Uh. Yeah, it, it was on that level. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but again, it was 2000, so it was all like internet slang from then. Yeah. Which was, uh, you know, it was kind of like Tron, but m- more annoying. It, was it a musical? It was a musical. Oh, my God. Yeah. Somebody a wrote a musical about email. Yeah. I forget even what it, the plot was about. All I remember is that one line of like, there goes an email. And he's like pointing across this. Oh, wow, there, dude. There, it goes so fast. An electronic mail. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so apologies to anyone who's listening who wrote that musical. Sorry. Uh, I am a horrible I bet critic. it's really good. My feedback is why it went on to do so well. And it's now called Hamilton? It's now called Hamilton. <laughs> and that writer was Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lin. So I'm, uh, I think that's it. I think we're all done here. Right? Okay. Is there anything else to say? I like you. I like you, too. I think you're a good co-host. I think you're a good co-host and a good friend. Let's give each other a hug. Okay. Ah! 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 We're dead now. No hugs. (laughs) 